Hello, everyone. This is Last Jackson of Detroit Bad Boys, and on this week's podcast, we have the Chicago Bulls team preview up next in our series. Ben and I talked to Stefan No of the Athletic Chicago about the Jabari Parker signing, Chicago's crowded young front court, and the chance the Bulls have to make the playoffs. Spoiler: the Bulls are not going to make the playoffs. As always, we appreciate your continued support of the podcast. The best way to do that is to share, like, and leave comments. Uh, please leave comments on the post on Detroit Bad Boys. It's the best way for us to build the podcast according to what the fans want. In order to do that, though, you have to be following DetroitBadBoys.com, which you should be doing, because it's the best place on the internet for Pistons news and analysis this season. With all that said, it's time to go to work. Welcome to the Detroit Bad Boys podcast. I am your host, Lazarus Jackson. I'm pleased today to be joined by my usual co-host, Ben Gulker. Ben, how are you doing? Doing good. I'm telling you what, though, I, I live close to East Lansing, and uh, school's getting ready for some college football. So the NBA dog days are still here, but um, for us college football fans, there's a little bit to be excited about pretty soon. So looking forward to that. I saw that Michigan had like a wide receiver that like broke his foot or something. And I'm ashamed of how excited that made me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, this is a Pistons podcast, Laz. You don't, you don't have to go there. Yeah. We won't have to fight about that today. Uh, and today we're also, I'm very pleased to be joined by uh, Stefan Noah, Stefan No of the uh, Chicago athletic. Stefan, how are you doing? Doing great. Thank you guys so much for having me. Yeah, no, thanks for thanks for coming on. I know it is the the doldrums and I don't know how busy you are or aren't, but uh, we appreciate you taking the time to join us. Um, so we'll start with the the first question that we ask everyone who's been doing these team preview podcasts so far. Uh, do you know what's the one word that sums up Bulls fans feelings after this offseason? I don't it's interesting because the fan base is pretty divided on the moves that they made. So I would say maybe half the fans would be hopeful. The other half would be apathetic. Interesting. All right. So let's dive deeper into that. Um, Lots of things happened this summer for the Bulls. Um, What's the letter grade you'd give the team as a whole for their offseason moves? And then I know you've, you've done some extensive writing into some of this, so feel free to dive deeper, but letter grade first, and then uh, anything in particular that you think is outstanding or, or maybe not so good. I have to give this team a letter grade for uh, the off season, maybe like a B uh, that grade is high is a little bit inflated because of uh, how well I think they did in the draft taking Wendell Carter at seven. He looks like uh, kind of a steal based on summer league. And of course it's just summer league. So can't take too much into that. But as far as their free agency decisions, I wasn't really a huge fan of what they did. They came into the period with a ton of cap space, one of the only teams that was available to absorb salary. So, you know, I'm kind of a process proponent myself. I would have liked to see them leverage that space into draft picks and maybe try to flip those picks into a star if one becomes available on the trade market or try to move up in the draft to take one of those top five players. But instead, they chose to spend their money on a combination of 
re-signing Zach Levine and then poaching Jabari Parker away from the Milwaukee Bucks. Both those guys were in the 20 million annually range. So that really took up all their space. They had to let a couple of their uh, fringe players go in the process too. Paul Zipster is not going to be on this team. Now there's David Nwaba, who a lot of people haven't heard of, but I think he's going to be a pretty nice player for the Cavs who picked him up. So yeah, I would have liked to see them be a little bit more patient with their moves. Instead, they they made these uh, big scoring acquisitions. I understand that you know the fan base might have been frustrated with what was pretty much a huge slog last season, and maybe these moves are trying to inject some more enthusiasm into the fan base, but I've just never really been high on either of those guys, so it was a, a little bit disappointing for me. So with your disappointment, I guess, in the Jabari contract and Levine extension, does the decision, I guess, to structure Jabari's contract in such a way that it could just be a really big one-year deal uh, kind of uh, assuage that uh, that feeling of uh, not greatness? Or how do you feel about that? Yeah, I mean, I can understand why the Bulls went after him. So the way the contract is structured, they got him for $20 million this season, and then next season he has a $20 million team option. So the Bulls really have all the control here. If Jabari doesn't work out for them, they can just cut bait and, you know, it doesn't really affect them long term. Uh, that definitely made the deal better from my perspective. But I mean, I would still rather Jabari just sign somewhere else. The Bulls can get him on his third contract when they're more in contention and they could use that space. We saw like um, Denver this season giving up protected first round pick to get off some salary. So, you know, I, I just think that uh, first round pick and the bottom end of the first round you know that's where Kyle Kuzma was drafted last year uh there's been some pretty good picks late in the first round in the past couple years so I would have just uh preferred that method but uh I don't think the Jabari signing was terrible just because as you mentioned it's it's so easy to get out of so what are where are your expectations like for this team after the offseason the over under is 27 and a half that feels really low to me um, even if, you know, they are a young team, they are probably going to be really bad defensively, but it seems like there will be nights where they can just like out, outscore some of the lower tier, uh, teams in either conference, or they can like come up and catch like a, a Charlotte or even like a Detroit. So, uh, where do you come down on the over under of 27 and a half? Well, you guys know this as well as me. Uh, it is, it is great playing in the Eastern conference. <laughs> so, I think that, you know, 50 games against the East, that can boost the Bulls' win total up a little bit. And actually that uh, Vegas line that you're referencing at the Westgate, that has since moved a little bit. It's Now you can get it at 28.5. So the public has been betting the over on that, and I think that's pretty wise. I mean, it's pretty tough to win only 27 games. The Bulls were tanking last year. They were sitting... Two of their veterans, they sat Zach Levine for the end of the year. They were doing everything in their power to lose, and even still, they got to 27 wins. So, uh, yeah, I'm a little bit more optimistic than that. I, th- I think they'll finish probably somewhere around 30 wins, maybe 31, 32, something like that. So you're betting the over. Um, put on your Chicago Bulls homer pants for a second. What is the best-case scenario for the team? And then when you're done with that, give us the flip side of that coin. What's the worst? There are a lot of fans in Chicago that think the Bulls can be a playoff team fighting for the eighth seed. I'm definitely not 
that optimistic, but I do think so. Best case scenario, maybe they can get up to like 36, 37 wins. This is a team that is going to be really, really bad defensively. They were 29th. Uh, God bless the Kings who are uh, saving the Bulls <laughs> from being ranked 30th in a lot of these categories. But you look at what they did uh, personnel wise, and they lost probably their second best perimeter defender in David Nwaba, replaced him with Jabari Parker, who is. Uh, probably going to be the worst defensive small forward, uh, starting small forward in the league. So I I know they're trying to switch some stuff up scheme wise, uh, but and also they have so many young players who are just naturally going to become a little bit better on defense. But it's hard to see me. Uh, it's it's hard to see them improving from that 29th ranking. And I do think they can be pretty good on offense. Uh, maybe they can get into like a maybe they can get into like a top. Uh, top 15, top 10 offense, given how many scores they have, but that's still not enough to really drag a team into the playoffs, even in the Eastern Conference. And then you guys said uh, worst case scenario too, is that right? Yes. Uh, so worst case scenario, I could see the Bulls not really playing well out of the gate. Um, they don't really have the best fit lineup wise uh, I mentioned before Jabari Parker is going to be playing small forward that wasn't his best position in Milwaukee so that's kind of a concern if they suffer an injury in their point guard rotation Chris Dunn is a starter Cameron Payne is the backup that's probably the weakest uh, point guard depth in the entire league so if one of those guys gets injured then wheels could fall off really quickly the Bulls could see the writing on the wall and just decide to go for tank uh second year in a row this draft coming up uh, i don't know how much you guys have looked into it but it's fairly shallow so uh there's some decent prospects in the very top some nice wings which the bulls desperately need and then uh it falls off a lot like after the next like after the first four or five guys so i could see them going for the tank again and you know maybe finishing with around the same wins as last year, 26, 27 wins, trying to get one of those top four picks. So you talked about Jabari at the three and they, the Bulls. So they drafted Chandler Hutchinson in the first round. They drafted Denzel Valentine a couple of years ago. Um, they have a huge like backlog in the front court with uh, Lopez, uh, Markinen, Portis, even Cristiano Felicio. Uh, are they really going to play Jabari Parker at the three? Like, is is that is that it? Do you bring you don't bring in Jabari Parker at twenty million even for one year to play him out of position? Do you? Well, you didn't even mention Wendell Carter. He's going to get a lot of minutes there too, and that's the problem. Is they have so many guys. I think that they're going to try to move Lopez uh, as soon as possible. Really, he doesn't really fit with what they're trying to do. Although he's been great for the Bulls. I don't know if you guys uh, would need a veteran in Detroit, but he would. He, I. Like he has been a fantastic teammate everywhere he's been. He's a little expensive for us. We're pretty cash strapped at the moment. I know you guys like uh, spending a lot of money on backup centers, so <laughs> maybe he would fit in there. Um, yeah, but uh, the Bulls have already said that they are going to start Parker at small forward. And the reason for that is, you know, a lot of these NBA teams have decided that wings are the future of the NBA. They want to put a lot of resources into signing and drafting wings well the bulls are kind of going the complete opposite direction they have zero small forwards on this team so just by necessity they're gonna have to pigeonhole parker in there he did play a little bit maybe 
I think uh, about a third of his minutes in his last healthy season, he played uh, in Milwaukee. And that's obviously because Giannis was playing a lot at, at the four. So he does have some experience there. He hasn't been good there, but he's just the best of a bunch of terrible options for the Bulls. No faith in Chandler Hutchinson? Uh, from not from not even necessarily from you, but like from the front office, like they, they spent a, a first round pick on this guy. Well, I don't I don't think that he can immediately just jump in and become a starter. He had a pretty rough summer league, uh, and I don't I don't really think that draft picks that are selected in the twenties they generally don't just start right away. I do think the Bulls have a lot of confidence that they can develop him into a rotation player, but yeah, I don't think he's starting anytime soon. All right, so Steve, Stefan, tell us um, a little bit more about Wendell Carter. Uh, what does it mean for Bobby Portis? You talked a little bit about what that means for small forward, but um, what's your prediction for how the front court's going to play out in terms of you know minutes played per game, and what are the Bulls going to prioritize, playing and developing their young guys or going with some of these, well, I guess they don't have a lot of old guys necessarily, but maybe some guys like Bobby Portis and Jabari uh, Parker who have been in the league a little bit longer. Well, I think Wendell Carter has a pretty good shot at winning rookie of the year. I think he's going to get a lot of minutes. It's just a matter of time before he supplants Lopez as the starter. I don't know if it's going to be this season or next season, but eventually you're going to see Carter as the starter. And um, if you, if your listeners didn't watch much summer league basketball, which good for them, uh, (laughs) Carter was really the story of summer league. He's way better defensively than uh, people thought he would be. Could move his feet. Well, switch on pick and rolls. He was, popping out for three-pointers. I mean, he was really doing everything there in Las Vegas. So he is definitely going to need some time. The Bulls are going to start him. uh, uh, Excuse me. They're going to bring him off the bench uh, to start the season. And you mentioned Bobby Portis, who had kind of a breakout year. He is – the Bulls are going to have to decide what to do with him because his rookie deal is up after this season. So they are going to have to pay some money to re-sign him. He's a really great scorer. He can – Stretch the floor, hit above the break threes. He's got good size, but he can't play any defense. And I don't really know how much he fits with this team. Uh, I think he might find himself as the odd man out. So I think he might be a trade candidate later in the year. And he, he's still a very young prospect. So I think they can get some pretty good value for him. Um, yeah, Laurie Markinen, obviously, he is the crown jewel of the Bulls. He is going to have to play. 32, 33 minutes, he's going to be starting at power forward. So you guys mentioned it before. They just have so many players in this front court. Uh, They're going to have to figure out what to do with them. And I think they're going to trade Lopez uh, almost certainly. And then Portis could be another guy that they're shopping later in the year. So do they think of, does the front office and the coaching staff think of Markinen strictly as a power forward? Do you think we'll see some, uh, some lineups with him at center or anything like that during the year? Well, that's the future for him. They didn't play him much at center in his rookie year to try to preserve him. And he has been spending the summer bulking up. I mean, I know you hear the same story every single summer that these big guys have put on so much muscle. But yeah, it's the same thing with Mark. And he's put on 14 pounds of muscle, supposedly. He's been releasing these shirtless pictures on Instagram and stuff that are just making Chicago fans go nuts to think that... uh, he can capably hold up at center. And I think he can, I mean, he's a legitimate seven feet tall. I think that is the future for him as this stretch guy that is just totally unguardable. Uh, as long as he can bruise down there, which it's looking like he can, uh, he's just going to be a incredible weapon for the bulls. 
So uh, what do you think is the biggest on-court problem with the Bulls right now? What's the biggest roster hole they need to fill? Oh, I said it already. They have no small forwards on the team. Like, there's so many elite wings. Last year when they had to play guys like LeBron, uh, Giannis, they put David Nwaba, who is a 6'4 shooting guard. He just plays way bigger than his size. He's super tough. And that actually worked really well. Aside from Nwaba, who is on the Cavs now, they have nobody, uh, so it's going to be a lot of trouble. Jabari, his biggest problems defensively, I mean, he has a lot, uh, but he does not have great lateral quickness, so I don't foresee him being able to stay with those faster wings. Um, so they're just going to get lit up whenever they play one of these uh, teams with an elite wing. I'm surprised you didn't say point guard. Uh, Chris Dunn really did not uh, impress me last year well he he played better than he did in his rookie year but still like he's just under the level of what i think a, a functional starting point guard in the nba should be capable of and behind him uh there's like a just a bunch of question marks uh campaign and they traded jerry and grant so i don't, I don't even know who else is is back there uh what's the, what's the and you need a point guard to kind of run this or distribute the shots that are going to be around in this uh this super uh, allegedly super high octane offense so what's uh, what's your opinion of the point guard situation in chicago yeah the bulls have a lot of faith in chris dunn he was part of that jimmy butler trade so they want to give him every opportunity to look good just from an optics perspective and he had kind of a strange year uh last year definitely improved a ton from his rookie year in minnesota where he was looking like a bust Showed some flashes. Uh, yeah, you mentioned that you're not really that high on him. Fan base is, again, they're kind of 50-50 on him. They're, he has, he's like a pretty good athlete. He has some very good dunks. He's already a really good defender, but his shot is really shaky. Vision, not really that great for a point guard. Uh, ball handling is not good for a point guard either. He has a lot of turnover problems. So he has these holes in his game. He's already kind of old. He was a four-year player at Providence, so I think he's going into his age 24 season not sure exactly how much he can improve there and then you mentioned the other guys at point guard i mean the bulls just have nothing uh cameron Payne, not sure if he's an nba player he played well last year but it was only 25 games and his first two years in the league he did not look like an nba player uh behind Payne, it's even worse they have ryan archidiacono who uh he was a big time player for Villanova but he's just not an NBA caliber player he was on a two-way contract last year and just looked petrified every single time he had to take a shot so if they suffer an injury to Dunn which is pretty likely given that he's missed time significant time in both of his NBA years and he missed a ton of time in two of his four college years too then the wheels could fall off very quickly for the Bulls. Do you think they'll they'll shift Levine to point guard if an injury to Dunn occurs, or do they think of Levine purely as a shooting guard? They played Levine at times, uh, very limited minutes at point guard last year. Uh, I don't know what the answer to that is. I mean, like the way that Fred Hoiberg likes to run this team is he gives a lot of different players control. He likes having multiple ball handlers pushing the ball up the court and just trying to get stuff in transition. So. I don't know. I think they would share the responsibilities. Denzel Valentine, uh, you guys are probably familiar with him being a Michigan uh, Michigan State alumni. Uh, so he can handle the ball too a little bit if, if need be. 
But um, I, yeah, I think they'll probably go away from just having a pure point guard and have two or three different players take over that role. So you did, you did mention Denzel Valentine. I do have him like on my sheet. I did want to ask about him. Um, I know he's had a really up and down time in Chicago. Um, I know at times he struggled to shoot the ball and he was never the most athletic player in the league, which I think limits uh, his capabilities on the wing, obviously. And is part of the reason why, as we've talked about, the Bulls are kind of searching for answers on the wing. Um, I, I do think that potentially some of the answer there is kind of shifting him into more of a ball handling role. Uh, what, what do you think the coaching staff in the front office thinks of Denzel Valentine? What do you think his outlook for the season is looking like? He improved significantly from what was a really bad rookie year. His second year, he showed that he can at least uh, shoot three-pointers really well, and he was really good. He was one of the best, actually, in the NBA at pull-up threes. He would just go on the break and uh, chuck them up at about, I think he was over 40% on those. So that is like his one NBA skill. You mentioned his passing, which that was the reason, a large part of the reason why they drafted him, is they wanted this secondary playmaker. He hasn't really been able to do that at the NBA level, and I'm not sure exactly why, because I, you know, I watched a lot of the stuff coming out on the draft on him at Michigan state. And he was so good in that point role. Uh, I think part of it is that he can't draw the attention of defenses on his drives. He just, every time he gets below the free throw line, he picks up his dribble and has to pass out. So he just never is attracting a double team, but you would think that with the court vision he has, with the touch he has on his passes, he should be able to do it. He just hasn't yet. And as far as like, the faith in him in the front office, I think that it's telling that they took Hutchison in this draft at kind of similar roles. So maybe they are hoping that some competition between those two will elevate one or both. But I think that they're still kind of hedging on uh, Valentine's future. So for those of us who don't necessarily watch a ton of Bulls or don't watch the Bulls every night, um, what do you think is something that's flying under the radar about the Bulls right now that we should know about? What is flying under the... Uh, first of all, if you don't watch the Bulls, uh, good for you. His <laughs> last season <laughs> was pretty terrible. Um, I don't know. I mean, the Bulls are such a strange team. Like last year, for example, they came into the season with the intent of tanking. They wanted a bottom three pick and they started the year three and 20. It looked like they were going to get the number one pick. Uh, Nikola Mirotic came back and single-handedly ruined their tank. <laughs> And the <laughs> last third of the year, they were just doing crazy stuff to try to lose games. They're sitting their veterans. They're playing like Omer Ashik, who I like shouldn't even be in the league anymore. They signed guys off the street. They signed Sean Kilpatrick off the street to close out fourth quarters for them. Um, so just totally bizarre stuff. Uh, yeah. So I think a lot of people missed like how blatant the tanking was for the Bulls and it didn't even work. Like they finished tied for the sixth worst record. Um, but luckily, I mean, they looked in a Wendell Carter who looks like a stud. Uh, so nobody really knows what the direction of the bulls is going to be this upcoming season. They've said that they found this tanking really distasteful. It was the first time they'd done it under John Paxson's. I think it's his 14th year as uh, vice president of the bulls. So they said they're not going to do it this year, but I'm not sure if they're going to stick with that. If, uh, it, looks like this team is just not going anywhere because they really need, they still need a franchise player. And obviously the best way to get that is with like a top three or top four draft pick. So I think that the allure of that pick, if, if it's within reach, 
by the all-star break. It's just going to be too much for them to avoid uh, tanking again. So weren't the Bulls one of like one of the teams that got uh, censored by the NBA, like saying stop taking so blatantly? Uh, Adam Silver sent them a warning asking why they were sitting Robin Lopez and Justin Holiday when they were not injured. And after Silver sent them that warning, they started alternating which games those two guys would play in. So it did have an effect, but the Bulls never got fined or anything like that. Oh, okay. Oh, man. When the league is telling you you need to play Justin Holiday, how how wrong things are. Yeah, I know. It's, it was pretty bad. Justin Holiday had like a, a Kobe Bryant season last year. I mean, the Bulls just let him shoot whenever he wanted. He bailed them out of a lot of short clock situations. And uh, it was like watching, you know, 40-year-old Kobe Bryant if he suited up for the Bulls today rather than prime Kobe. You talked a little bit about how uh, the front office in Garpax found the the tanking distasteful. Um, you said they've been in, in office, quote unquote, in office 14 years. Uh, how secure are they in, in their positions? Are, are they going anywhere if, uh, if the Bulls are compelled to tank again? Yeah, I don't think they're going anywhere. Um, the owner... He is extremely loyal to his general managers. So I think that the Bulls, um, they are definitely going to fire Hoiberg before they hire the two guys in charge. And I mean, they've just done such crazy things in the past. Like they've made so many bad decisions and they're never really held accountable. So I don't really see the fact that they don't win a ton of games this upcoming season as uh, having any hope of front office change. Is is Hoiberg is Hoiberg the coach to is he a good tank commander? Is he a guy that can that can run the tank? Are they they confident in him? Is the front office confident in him? I think that he's a good tank commander in that he is willing to do what they want him to do and sacrifice his own personal record. Like the stuff that he did last year, I mean, it was so obvious that the Bulls were trying to trot out the worst possible lineups. Uh, in order to lose games. There was one game where um, they needed a game-winning shot, and Hoiberg, he set up a play for Antonio Blakeney, who is like their two-way player. He was like the 15th man on the roster. He was the one that got the game winner, and he made the shot, and he like totally screwed the Bulls <laughs> out of a loss that would have, you know, if they, if they had lost that game, they would have the fifth-worst record in the league. So just stuff like that. Um if you're following this team closely, yeah, Hoiberg was definitely following uh, orders to do everything in his power. I mean, the, the players obviously were not trying to lose. Like, Blakeney was not trying to miss that shot, but Hoiberg was doing everything that was within, you know, the rules to, to try to help the Bulls lose some of these games. Like, how do you feel if you're a two-way player and it's like you have one job and it's to miss <laughs> And oh, you make thrilled. the shot. Like, yeah, who's pretty happy? That's got to be the weirdest situation. Yeah, I mean, these two-way guys, they're, I, I talked to Blakeney a lot, actually, in uh, Summer League this summer. They're like trying to do everything they can, scrap, and uh, try to get a spot. And actually, he did get a real NBA contract a couple months ago, so good for him. Is it, It's with the Bulls, right? Yeah. Yeah, the Bulls signed him to just a minimum contract. That's not bad. He was a he was like an all star in the G League, if I remember correctly, which is part of the reason why he was up with the with the big club at the at the end of the year. He was the Michael Jordan of the G League. He he broke every single scoring record, basically, like most points in a season, highest points per game, 
Um, he averaged like 30, I think like 32 points a game in the, in the G league. So he is definitely a guy who can get buckets, but not, uh, I don't, I don't really think that your listeners need to know that much about him. I don't think he's going to be like a huge That's part fair. of the Bulls rotation. So, uh, this is the Detroit bad boys podcast. We do have to talk about the Pistons. So from afar, uh, what have your what have your perception been of the last like six months for the Pistons? So that's the the Blake Griffin trade. That's firing Stan Van Gundy and hiring Dwayne Casey. That's uh, reshaping their entire front office. Uh, anything in free agency? Just what what have your thoughts been about the Pistons? I mean, the Blake trade was a killer, right? It's just so much salary to take on. I understand why they did it. They, uh, you know, they were just kind of that was Stan Van Gundy's desperation attempt and that's the problem with keeping these guys on is uh when the pressure starts to build you're not going to make decisions that are in the best interest of the franchise you're going to make decisions in the best interest of saving your job and for ben gundy's perspective i feel like if he didn't do anything then he was probably going to lose his job anyway so like why not just why not just trade for blake griffin and yeah, maybe it'll cripple the franchise, but you're not going to be there anyway. <laughs> so I don't know. Is that how you guys feel about it? I feel like the Pistons fans in general aren't really that high on the remaining years on Griffin's contract. Ben, do you want to take that one? <laughs> Finally, a guest who agrees with me. Yeah, I mean, I I like Blake Griffin. I think he's a good player. I just don't think he's worth the money. And from a context perspective, like paying him and Andre Drummond all of that money to be like good, but not great. The whole package doesn't make a ton of sense to me. I think Vince Ellis has done a lot of reporting around the extent to which it was Stan Van Gundy's decision versus a Tom Gora's decision. He's the owner um, for those who may not know, recognize his name. And he argues that it was a franchise wide decision, but, Man, it it felt like desperation to me at the time, and I just can't totally shake that feeling. But I would say that Blake Griffin has been really divisive. I would say more depends on who you're talking to, but I think more casual fans who recognize his name and who enjoy some of the highlight real plays, which he still does generate from time to time, um, tend to be more optimistic on him but then there are guys like Laz who are very well versed in the game huge fans and students of the game who also really like him a lot more than I do I think I'm kind of in the minority in that I I just am not a fan I'm not totally sold on Blake Griffin in a vacuum and I'm definitely not sold on him um, in the context of the team you know you mentioned the Bulls as sort of having all of this space that they could have used differently the Pistons didn't necessarily have a whole lot of space, but I felt like they did have some assets and they cashed them all in on Blake Griffin. And now there's, there's very little left. And I, I just sort of question going all in on a guy that gets you to like 45 to 48 wins. But uh, I mean, Lass has different opinions and I mean, so I think the, the reason that I asked this question is because it is kind of illustrative. Uh, like Ben mentioned, we've had a couple of guests who uh, say that the Blake Griffin trade was a horrible decision. And we've had a couple of guests who say that they totally, they totally understand why a franchise in the position the Pistons were in would make a trade like that. Um, I personally am a little bit more charitable towards uh, the trade for Blake Griffin. Um, 
I think when you put it in the context of Tobias Harris turning down a four-year, $80 million extension in favor of probably going to like a $27 million, $27 million a year contract uh, next season, I think uh, I would rather pay Blake Griffin, you know, $39 million in year five than Tobias Harris, you know, $33 million in year five of their respective deals just uh, based on talent and based on uh, expectation level. Um, I think that uh, I think that people have expectations of Blake that aren't necessarily like the player he is anymore. Like he's not a dunk contest winner. He's not um, a, the neo, like the nuclear athlete that he was uh, in the past. What he is now is just uh, like a really effective uh, post passer and a guy who can chew up a lot of offense at uh, with with relative efficiency from all three levels of the court um, is that in like in the 2018 NBA like is that the most valuable thing like no in 2018 like the most valuable thing is like a wing who can create shots for himself and others at all three levels of the court and Blake isn't a wing and he's not a great defender but I still think that uh, Blake has value and uh, you know just the Pistons weren't going to use the excess value that they weren't spending on Blake Griffin anyway from that that's in, I can say that from dealing with the Stan Van Gundy regime from uh, the past uh, other moves that the owner has signed off on. Uh, I feel pretty confident in saying if they didn't get Blake Griffin, they would be chasing like a Kevin Love or somebody else, a, a quote unquote star, lowercase s star like that. And so I, I'm a little bit more charitable towards it. Uh, Stefan, uh, how do you feel about the, the Dwayne Casey hire? Um, hmm. I haven't really put that much thought into it. I mean, I, I kind of like Stan Van Gundy uh, in general. I, maybe that's not a popular opinion with Pistons fans, but uh, yeah, I I think Casey, I mean, he did rebuild that Raptors franchise. I didn't really think he was a great in-game tactician necessarily, but I do think that he is excellent at motivating players and teaching also on the court. So, you know, I don't really know how important the in-game tactics are. Like I know this NBA Twitter crowd, they always like to criticize and uh, look at all these coaching decisions on a micro level. And you're really not seeing most of the picture there. So I think just based on this level of success that the Raptors had, you can say that, you know, he's probably a pretty good coach. So uh, the last question I think we will have for you is, is looking forward uh, for this Bulls team. Um, you talked about next year's draft and, and where they'll end up and how kind of shallow it is. If the Bulls were to obtain uh, a Cam Reddish or a Nasir Little, or uh, I don't I don't know if they pick Zion. I don't think Zion really fits with the rest of their roster. But like if they were to obtain a guy uh, of that talent level, uh, next year, do you think they uh, the expectations in Chicago would start to change that they'd uh, want to be like a playoff team immediately with with a number one pick? I think there is a lot of pressure on the Bulls management to uh, get to the playoffs quickly, and it's kind of self-imposed. This is a really patient fan base. The Bulls were number one in attendance last year. They've been number one in attendance ever since the Jordan years. And that includes this period after Michael Jordan retired where they were terrible. They were like the worst team in the league for five or six years. So this is an extremely patient fan base, but the owner, Jerry Reinsdorf, he's very old. He's, I think he's like in his eighties. 
this is not a guy that wants to sit around and watch a terrible team. I don't even know if he watched the Bulls anyway. He's like a huge White Sox fan. He also owns that franchise. But uh, there's been some reporting from the Sun-Times, one of the papers down in Chicago, that, yeah, ownership wants this team to win, and they don't want to endure another tank. So uh, I think that, I still think that, yeah, maybe they'll end up doing it anyway, just accidentally this season. But if they do get a top five pick, especially given that this is the Eastern Conference and it's totally wide open now that LeBron has left, there's going to be pressure to get that team into the playoffs. All right, Stefan, thank you so much for coming on the Detroit Bad Boys podcast. Uh, what's the best way for uh, fans to to uh, communicate with you about the Bulls or the Pistons or anything else? Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter. It's at Stefano, S-T-E-P-H-N-O-H. I also write for The Athletic. Uh, if you sign up for the Detroit Athletic uh, it gets you access to all the different athletic sites. So you can read about the Bulls. You can read about college football. You can read. Uh, there's a lot of actually great draft stuff for college basketball. So it's, it's pretty good value. I think it's like $5 a month or something like that. Uh, and I, tw- I live tweet a lot of the Bulls games. I tweet out a lot of video clips. So if you're into that kind of stuff, then uh, give me a follow. Were, were you on like a beat job before the athletic or were you a, blog, a quote unquote blog boy? SB Nation for life, guys. I was at uh, Bloggable, the SB Nation site for the Bulls. That's where I got my start. Uh, grinded my way up and got a one of the first positions over at the Athletic, actually. So, yeah, hopefully we can continue that SB Nation to Athletic hiring trend. I like that. How how is uh, working at at the Athletic suited you so far? Oh, it's been great. I mean, it's it's really nice that you get a lot of freedom to pursue your own stories. Uh, the readership is really passionate the thing i really liked about writing for sb nation too is the comment section over at bloggable there's it's really interactive fans very intelligent fans you don't get these meatheads that show up on uh, other sites so the athletic has a very similar set of fans who are you know they're passionate enough to pay for their sports news and we have a great comment section over there so if your listeners are not uh subscribed i encourage them to do that if they're looking for a really nice community to chat with so, Ben, what's the best place for all the meatheads to come talk to you? <laughs> <laughs> the meatheads already know where to find me, guys. I'm telling you. No, it's at BR Gulker. Of course, you can find me on the blog as well, DBB. So uh, we have a pretty robust comment section and a great group of commenters at DBB. Um, they all follow me on Twitter at LazChance. That's at L-A-Z-C-H-A-N-C-E. And they all download this podcast, which is great. Um This has been the Detroit Bad Boys podcast, and we will see you guys later this week.